You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. Hey, this is Dan Savage, and you have successfully downloaded another installment of the Savage Love Cast, my uh, weekly out loud version of my sex advice column, Savage Love, in which I take calls uh, or listen to recorded calls and sometimes call people back and uh, whip out the best sex advice I possibly can. The number here, 206-201-2720. If you want to record a question for a future podcast, that's the number to dial. Again, 206-201-2720. And you download this podcast every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. Let's get to your calls. Hi, Dan. My name is uh, Glenn. I'm calling about uh, porn. I... uh enjoy looking at uh, porn and uh, everything that accompanies that, that sort of activity very much. But uh, I often find that I can't uh, shake the feelings of guilt that, uh, that accompany it. I used to think that this was just normal sort of run-in-the-mill uh, guilt, uh, you know, associated with uh, our uh, sexually repressed uh, culture here. But, uh, after thinking about it some more, I think that it runs a little bit deeper than that. I think that uh, somewhere, somehow, I think that uh, looking at porn uh, irrevocably damages my brain. Uh, it, it changes the way that I look at women in some way that uh, that I can't change at a subconscious level or, or something, some sort of psychobabble like that. I was wondering if you thought there was any truth to that, uh, if there really is some sort of irrevocable harm or otherwise done as a result of looking at looking at this sort of stuff or if it's a perfectly safe healthy thing to do as healthy as watching American Idol or something like that on TV. I think porn can be a good and healthy part of somebody's sex life if they're good and healthy. Uh, you say you've been looking at porn and you're wondering if your brain hasn't been damaged irrevocably to which I want to respond well you've been looking at porn and if the damage is actually literally irrevocable then it's too late for you the damage is done and it's irrevocable and you might as well keep looking at the goddamn porn because you've been damaged irrevocably uh i don't think you've been damaged irrevocably clearly you don't otherwise you wouldn't be calling and having this sort of internal moral debate about porn uh does porn do harm sure porn can do harm can do harm to people who are sucked into making porn who aren't uh mature enough to do it or or sane enough to do it or doing it for the wrong reasons, or being coerced into doing it, uh, and porn can harm the people in porn. Can porn harm the viewer? Well, that depends on the viewer, and each of us has to look inside ourselves and say, am I able to consume porn, to look at porn, and then not have it impact the way I look at my sex partners, be they male or female? You know, gay guys look at porn too. Porn just isn't about women. Um, And if you're not the kind of person that can appreciate that there's sort of porn world which is literally you know live action anime it's about that real and then there's real life which is going to be different people have pimples on their asses in real life and people menstruate in real life and people you know sometimes have santorum moments in real life and real life sex is not like porn porn is idealized porn is kabuki sex Uh, and if you can compartmentalize you know porn world from real life and looking at porn doesn't make you then look at real life and see it as somehow less than or diminished or not as satisfactory, then you can consume porn without being harmed by it. If, on the other hand, you personally looking at porn 
then you know anybody, any woman you're with who's not Jenna Jameson doesn't do it for you, and everything that you're able to get sexually feels like you know a, a not worth the bother consolation prize uh, that pales in comparison to the stuff you've been wanking off to at home uh, on video. Then you shouldn't look at porn, or you shouldn't sleep with people. You should pick one or the other. Uh, but that that's a problem that you have. It's not a problem that porn has. Because tons of people can look at and uh, consume and enjoy porn without it damaging how they look at and enjoy sex in their real, uh, you know, lives. So clearly the problem here, again, I'm going to repeat myself, the problem isn't the porn, it's you. If you can't handle it, if it damages, if, if you find that it damages your psyche and your erotic imagination and it does damage to your sex life and your interpersonal relationships... Put the porn down and back away from the porn. But don't make sort of sweeping generalizations about porn is therefore damaging to all people everywhere just because you can't handle it. Hi, Jan. I'm a gay Australian male living in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Just want to say your show is fab. Anyway, Dan, I have a question for you. On several of your shows, you actively condone open relationships. So how do you go about setting up a successful, healthy, open relationship which maintains respect. And what are the general rules in setting one up? Is it possible that a relationship can start from the outset as being an open relationship, or should the real relationship start off closed and then start develop into openness? The reason why I ask this is I've just broken up with a Vietnamese guy, which we started as an open relationship. My take on it was originally fine, but as it progressed, I became more and more uncomfortable with it as he viewed it as being totally open to the extent that he abandoned me on several occasions in preference for his fuck buddies. And I also felt that his play with fuck buddies was much more important to him than me in the relationship. He actually said that the only time he was going to be available for me was for events in which we needed to be together, such as dinner engagements, family events, etc. So I'd really love to hear your views on this, Dan. I'm sorry you had such a bad experience with... Uh that relationship. I don't know if openness had uh, can be blamed for how bad it was and how badly it turned out uh, because you, you know, can you have a healthy open relationship? Yeah, you can have a healthy open relationship. It's entirely possible. I know tons of people who do. Uh, you can't have a healthy open relationship with someone who's an asshole, with someone who isn't healthy, with someone who's cruel uh, and sort of emotionally abusive, which is what it sounds like your ex was. And thank God he's your ex and good on you for dumping the motherfucker already. Uh, I do think, and my experience, uh, which of course it doesn't apply universally, uh, uh, bears out that a, a long period of uh, exclusivity, I think, is a really good way to start an open relationship, for the relationship to begin closed and be closed long enough for both people to know for certain that they are you know, push comes to shove, uh, uh, sexually attracted to each other and enough for each other. And then the openness isn't about necessarily uh, meeting some need that's not being met or it's not about one or the other failing or falling short or not being enough for uh, one or the other. Sounds like the problem with your open relationship, if I may be frank, is that it doesn't sound like your ex was terribly attracted to you physically, perhaps, and so he was getting his sort of rocks off and physical needs met with other guys and kind of tolerating you sexually uh, and including you just enough sexually in his adventures uh, to enjoy whatever else it was he enjoyed about being your boyfriend, whether it was 
your witty uh, <laughs> repartee, uh, whether it was, you know, who you are, you know, emotionally, maybe it's relying on you for emotional support, maybe it's relying on you for financial support and for power and prestige and position and bragging rights and some of the negative things that sometimes people glom onto other people for. Uh, but clearly, uh, this wasn't an open relationship uh, that functions where, you know, it, what needs to happen is for it to work, both people always have to feel like they come first, uh, literally, perhaps, and figuratively, too, that they are the number one priority of the other person, that their emotions and their feelings are always being deferred to, and that you have a pri- you have primacy, not just physical primacy, uh, but that, too, but emotional primacy, and that any outside sexual contact is agreed to in advance, is negotiated, that you're never abandoned, uh, as you claim to have been by him, like in a bar or a social situation where he runs off with a fuck buddy, and leaves you alone. That's emotionally abusive. That's not how our lovers behave. You know, an open relationship should be, there's, you know, if it's not polyamory, it should be, I'm always with you and I'm with you first. If something else happens, I have your, you know, your permission in advance and it's not going to happen in such a way or at such a time that it, where, that it hurts your feelings or takes me away from you or deprives you of my company or leaves you feeling neglected and abused. Clearly, your relationship with this guy didn't meet those criteria. And you're, again, well rid of the motherfucker. Uh, but don't take your one bad experience with an open relationship and say that open relationships can never work, can never be healthy. Uh, I, I think that you know that they can. Otherwise, you wouldn't ask questions about how best to have a healthy one. Um, but they can be healthy and they can work, uh, but they can't work with someone who is unhealthy and who is an asshole and uh, who clearly didn't care about you enough to protect you and your feelings. Uh, and you can't be in an open relationship with someone who doesn't care about you enough to make sure that you're always feeling secure and that you're always feeling like you come first. Hi, Dan. I am a 23-year-old female, um, and I'm calling about... Um, I'm wondering if there's a connection between promiscuity and an inability to orgasm in women. Um, I have been in multiple relationships. I've had multiple one-night stands and lovers and all of that stuff, and I am completely unable to orgasm by anybody else but my own hand. And part of me knows that this, um, you know, might go away with age and when I mature and when I find the right partner, but I'm wondering if um, this is something that you've come across as being common. Um, you know, my friends who have, you know, had had one boyfriend in their life seem to have no problem orgasming. Um, so I'm wondering what's up with that. Wow, if too much sex or if being promiscuous made you inorgasmic or uh, incapable of coming uh, unless you were touching yourself, I'm sure the religious right would have latched onto that years ago and incorporated it into their abstinence education and wait until marriage programming. Oh my God, wait until marriage or you'll never have an orgasm. I think this is a case of a perhaps dink. I get letters every day from women who have trouble uh, reaching orgasm unless they're using their own vibrator or their own hands, uh, who are not big sluts. And I use that in the sex-positive sense of the term big sluts. Uh, so, you know, the fact that you're, uh, by your own admission, rather promiscuous and you have trouble reaching orgasm, uh, that could be those two things could be completely unrelated or not. Those two things could be related. Uh, You're the one who's identified it as perhaps a problem, which makes me wonder if perhaps you have some issues uh, with your own uh, 
you know, the choices you're making sexually, the only, the, the amount of sexual uh, partners that you have and, and how you feel about it really. If you're looking at your life and going, well, maybe that's a problem. Well, maybe it is a problem. Does it have anything to do with your inability to come uh, under certain circumstances? Perhaps, but I don't think it's about like lots of guys and being promiscuous. I think you need to ask yourself why you're promiscuous or, or what you're hoping to achieve uh, through having numerous sex partners. And I'm totally cool with people having lots of sex partners if that's what they want, if that's what makes them happy. But sometimes you see people who have lots of sex partners and it doesn't make them happy. And what they're doing is sort of hiding, really, from emotional intimacy by ha- paradoxically uh, by having a lot of sex with a lot of different people and making fleeting emotional connections, fleeting sexual connections with many people because they're too afraid to have any sort of deep emotional erotic connection with any one particular person, not even with that relationship necessarily being exclusive, but really developing uh, a strong sexual rapport and an intimacy with one person who then can really get under their skin and get in their heads and get in their twats and get into their erotic inner life enough to like get you off. Like maybe one of the things that your promiscuity, if it's the problem is about, is not like the promiscuity is the problem. It's why you're promiscuous, why perhaps you are making this choice. If it's not making you happy, like what is up with you? That's what you need to like think about. I wish I could get you on the phone, but I tried and I couldn't. That's what you need to think about. That's what you need to confront. Don't like make it about other people, everybody, you know, promiscuity everywhere creates this problem in others. Well, it doesn't because I've known tons of promiscuous people who had no trouble having orgasms. You have trouble having orgasms. You've ID'd promiscuity as perhaps something that is a problem in your life and maybe has some issue with it. And I would, the only thing I would add to, to, to your thought process is some people have a lot of sex with a lot of different people because they're really afraid of making a strong connection with one person. And maybe if you could make that strong connection with one person, even if it's not a sexually exclusive relationship, you'll be able to trust and let go and let somebody else in and allow them to make you come. It's about losing some sense of self, losing a little bit of self-control and losing yourself in another person for a lot of women. And maybe you're not letting yourself do that. And that's what the promiscuity is about. Something to think about, blah, blah, blah. Wish I could have talked to you. Um, hi, I go to a high school in Oregon, and this is probably going to sound like a really, really dumb thing to, like, have a question or a problem about, but I get asked out, like, a lot, and, like, I'm gay, but a lot of the guys that go to my school don't know that or don't believe me when I tell them, and, um, when, like, a girl or a guy asks me out, I typically go with the whole, like, I'm so flattered that you're asking this, and it's really sweet, but I don't want a serious relationship right now kind of thing. And is that the best thing I can say? Because um, I know this sounds like I'm really conceited or whatever, but I just don't want people to think I'm being really bitchy or lying to them. So, (laughs) thanks. Hey, is this Lois? Hi. Hi, it's Dan. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I got your note. Or I got your message. I just finished listening to it, and I yeah. wanted I wanted to give you buzz because I need to call and tell you to stop being so nice. <laughs> really? Yeah, because when guys hit on you uh, and they know that you're gay, and 
uh, just a word of warning. Guys are going to hit on you even though they know you're gay all your life. Because guys yeah. hit on everything. If you're an attractive desk, guys are going to hit on you. So, <laughs> so you need to learn how to, like, deflect guys. Uh, it's a skill that all women have to acquire. And you need to you need to be firm and not so nice because it's how you know you're 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 really charming. You come across as sort of uh, sweet and bubbly, and but a little yeah. passive. <laughs> you know what I mean, and a little deferential, mm-hmm. which isn't your fault. That's like women are socialized to be passive and deferential around men, even queers, right? Yeah. And so when you say to a guy who hits on you, like, no, you know, you want to spare his feelings, and you say, oh, I don't want a serious relationship right now, which is what you said to me in, the, in your call, yeah. that guy, you're giving him a reason to hope that maybe you'll want yeah. a serious relationship tomorrow <laughs> or next week or a month from now. And so they're just going to hit on you again, you know, because yeah. some people think that's nice, like to let somebody think that they have a chance when they don't. Women think that's nice. Guys think that's shitty and cruel because eventually they realize they had never had a chance. And when you thought you were being nice, they will then interpret that as mean down the road. So the minute it happens, you need to say, I'm just, you know, I'm sorry. If you're out at school, you can say, oh, I'm queer. Like, it's never going to happen. Ha, ha, ha. And then punch him in the shoulder and tell him to look elsewhere. And just be direct. Mm -hmm. You know? Can you do that? Yeah. Why haven't you done that up to now? Well, I mean, I have, but sometimes guys will, like, think it's a joke, I guess, because maybe, like, other girls say that if they don't just, like, want to, like, be with them, which is weird, but then it's just, like, I don't know. The first time you tell them to fuck off, you should be nice and sort of punch them in the arm and laugh about it. The second time you tell them to fuck off, you should be sort of like, hey, come on, get serious, I'm telling you to fuck off here and that they hit yeah. on you again, you should deck them. Okay. <laughs> not, not really, you know, verbally. Like, look, I've already told you twice, no, the answer is no, and it'll always be no. Like, risk hurting their feelings if they keep coming back at you. Yeah. You know, men are like dogs. you got to whap them in the face with a rolled-up newspaper before they learn. Okay? Okay. Can you do that? Can you, can you be rude? It's not, I hear you thinking, like, oh, my God, I can't, totally can't do this, but you have to do it. Okay. Or your problem will never be solved, and you'll be dealing with this for the next 30 years. Okay. I can do it. Okay. Do it. And call us sometime and give us a progress report. All right. Okay, bye. Hey, Dan. Calling from Washington, D.C., and I have a question about uh, bedroom etiquette. I'd only met someone a couple times, and we got together, and uh, we slept together, and it was protected. And then uh, later on in the evening, she gave me a blowjob. And then a couple hours later, we're falling asleep. She wanted oral sex, and I said I, I wasn't comfortable doing that because I didn't know her that well, and I didn't want to take that risk until I could be totally sure that she was trustworthy and and you know she's on the level and sane and uh, someone who wouldn't screw me over in that kind of way. Um, and she got really upset because I'd let her go down on me. Uh, and then wasn't reciprocating and felt like it was my job at the time she was going down on me to say, hey, just so you know, uh, I'm not going to do that back to you just yet, uh, not until we've hung out a couple more times. And, uh, yeah, I guess I just wanted to know if in the future I should be doing that. I guess I will regardless because I want to avoid more grief. But um, is that something I should have known? All right, thanks. Bye. 
Here's a story from way, way, way back in the bad old days when HIV was uh, untreatable and everybody was dropping dead around me. Uh, I was messing around with this guy. I really liked him. We'd messed around a couple of times. Uh, I was, I think, the only gay man in North America who actually used condoms for oral sex. And I w- wouldn't go down on him without using a condom. And before we could even talk about it, he started to try to go down on me. And I stopped him and said, you know, I'm going to put a condom on if you're going to do that, because I'm not going down on you without a condom on your dick. And then it was really up to him whether or not, knowing what my limitations were, he wanted to suck me off without uh, me having to wear a condom, uh, which was the choice that he made. He was like, that's fine. I don't care. Uh, And so I didn't wear a condom uh, while he sucked me off, and that was cool with him. And he did when I sucked him off, and that was cool with him too. But I let him know in advance You have to let people know in advance. If you think that they're so skanky that you can't risk going down on them, that you really can't let them go down on you. Did I say that right? I'm a little out of it. You know, basically what you said to her is, I'm relatively certain that I don't have any diseases or I may have diseases and I'm willing to let you take this risk by sucking me. But I'm not going to risk sucking you because I think you might have a disease or an STI. And I don't know you well enough to go down on you, but I'll let you go down on me. That's just, however you want to dress it up, that's just assholery. And you need, she's absolutely right to be upset. She's absolutely right to point out that if you're not comfortable with oral sex at this stage in the relationship, you were required to say something when her mouth was full, not when it was time for your mouth to be filled. It was, you were taking advantage, you are just a guy getting a blowjob. You know, for all she knows, she doesn't know you that well. It sounds like you guys are just starting to mess around. For all she knows, this is what you always say, just because you don't like to eat pussy. But what an asshole thing to say, uh, if, you, if what it is is that you just don't like to eat pussy. Like, you know, oh, I'd love to eat pussy, but, you know, you could have any number of diseases. Why don't you give me another blowjob while I think about all the diseases you just might have? Like, of course she's going to be upset. The courteous thing to do. Say so in advance. Like if you're going to mess around with the next girl, you're going to become sexually active. You should just tell her at the get-go that you're, even though oral sex is less of a risk for whole bunches of, of STIs, you should tell her, you know what, oral makes me uncomfortable until we're really familiar with each other. Uh, you know, vaginal intercourse uh, with protection, I'm totally down with. But until we're really uh, know each other better and have a better sense of each other's health and sanity and everything, I really feel like we should save oral. If you'd said that going in, and if you say that going into your next relationship, she'll perceive you as a nice, respectful, courteous, thoughtful dude. If you say it a split second after she swallowed your load, she's going to think you're an asshole and a selfish motherfucker, and she's going to chuck you out of her apartment, as I would. So that is my advice for you. The tech-savvy at-risk youth just asked me, uh, why STIs? Why not STDs anymore? STD, of course, stands for sexually transmitted disease, and that was the PC term that took over for venereal disease once upon a time. Uh, And now everyone says STI for sexually transmitted infection. Uh, I I don't know why everybody changed it. Apparently there are some things you can get sexually that are technically infections that aren't diseases, or maybe it feels less scary if we call them infections, even though, you know, STIs, STDs, VD, it's all pretty scary. Uh, But a memo went out about three years ago saying, hey, everybody, stop saying STD. Start saying S-T-I. 
which now we all do. And I'm sure five years from now, it'll be sexually transmitted puppy linguini doodles. I don't know. They'll just change the name again just to keep us all on our toes. It'll be some brand new fucking acronym because there always is a brand new fucking acronym. This is Ben, the Savage Lovecast. I'm your host, Dan Savage. This is the once a week out loud version of my sex advice column, Savage Love. And you download this every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. Phone number here. If you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, 206-201-2720. Once again, 206-201-2720. If you want us to be able to give you a call back, please include your name and your phone number. And we promise not to uh, put either of those things into the podcast. It was fun. Talk to you next week.